Amen. Why don't we give God a big hand of praise before we sit down? Amen. Amen. Thanks. Thanks, guys. Oh, you may be seated. Covenant Church, how are you doing this morning? All right, I hope you're pumped to be in church and in the house of the Lord this morning because we're talking about marriage. We're talking about marriage this morning. Uh, and uh, last week before Bob uh, left the stage, um, he said that next week, uh, Dr. Love was going to be speaking. <laughs> and uh, that set me up. That set me up for a very, very, very hard time today because I am not Dr. Love. And I know this because, you know, love has always been a difficult thing, especially like, you know, for me at least. Um, I remember the first time I told my wife that I liked her. You know, she was in the car, and, you know, I, I, I'm thinking, jeez, uh, man, like, this is like the fifth unofficial date. Let me tell her that I like her. Um, and her response almost sent me to a place uh, well known by young adults as the friend zone. And uh, no one can dig you out of the friend zone. I know, Jesus saves, but mm, in the friend zone, I don't know. And, um, yeah, she, she, called, she called me a, a BIC, which is a brother in Christ. And I'm like, I'm not trying to be your brother in Christ right now. Uh, yeah, I, have, I, have, I have other aspirations. Um, yeah, because you never come back from that or bestie. And, and I think about that. <laughs> I think about that because I do a lot of weddings. Uh, uh, well, at least I've done a, a number of them in the last year. And I always think at the vows when the, when, the, when the bride is reading and she's like, I am marrying my best friend. And I think, oh, that is such a lie. Because... <laughs> There is a best friend, a dude that lingered around who's crying in the arms of an RA in a dorm room somewhere, <laughs> and he wasn't invited to the wedding because he's creepy. So that guy, you don't want to be that guy. So anyway, I'm not Dr. Love, but um, we're talking about marriage and um, just understanding marriage, right? Before marriage, you know, it's a fairy tale. But after marriage, you realize that it's, it's not a fairy tale, but God is creating this beautiful story in this journey that we call marriage. And marriage has a greater purpose than just feelings and having kids and, and, and building a life for yourself. It has, it has a greater meaning to it. And we're going to read about that because that meaning is about Christ and the church. In the passage that we're going to look in today, we're going to see that it's about Christ and the church. And I, and I know this to be a truth. I mean, we joke around and laugh a little bit, but I know that when it comes to marriage, there's a lot of weight that comes with that because there are people who are coming into this room at all different points of their marriage. Some people, you're coming into this room and you're struggling in that area of your lives. It's a battle. Some of you are in a real difficult spot right now in your marriages, and I understand that. Some of you, you're unsure about where you're at in your marriage and you're coming into this room. Some of you, your marriage is going great you're celebrating this morning. You're like, this is great. And for some, you know, your marriage is kind of nothingness, kind of like the first half of the Super Bowl last week. It's just, <laughs> it's just something's happening, but I don't know what's happening. And so we're all at different points. And maybe if you're single, don't check out. Single people, don't check out. This applies to you because marriage affects everyone. At some point, some place, it's either you're a child and, you're, and your parents are married or, or you're, maybe you're, you're friends with people who are married. M marriage affects everyone. And I want to encourage you in this because I know that maybe your parents are putting pressure on you or maybe the church is putting pressure on you or society is pr putting pressure on you. Your singleness is a gift. 
And I realized that the only people who say singleness is a gift are people in relationships. But the truth is, your singleness is a gift, right? You're tired of hearing that. You're like, where in the Bible? Show me the reference. But it is a gift. And the reality is it might not be a gift that you want to keep, but it is a gift. And I look at myself standing in front of you. And, and, and to be honest, the enemy tried to throw some arrows at me because I've only been married seven years. And I've only ever spoken about marriage um, and, uh, to people who are younger than me or, or, or at an at a, at a event where people are going to dance and get free booze later. So it's, it doesn't really apply, weddings and young adults. So in my circles, in young adult circles, I'm like the Gandalf of marriage. <laughs> I just throw out advice. If it doesn't work, I'm like, come back. I'll fix it. Don't worry. <laughs> Seven years. So if you've been married... <laughs> My seven years tells me that just take her to coffee. Um, <laughs> how many of you have been married more than 10 years? Uh, show of hands. Wow. Wow. Okay. How about 20 years? 20 years? Wow. 30 years? Woo. 40 years? Jeez. Okay. 50 years. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Woo. Now, if you've been married... Uh, more than 60 years, I think we're celebrating, like, not just your man. We're like, how are you still alive? <laughs> we're like, where do you shop? Like, what kale do you eat? Like, you know what I mean? So we celebrate that. We're in community. So there's something about this, and I also do that so that I know who to avoid. I am definitely avoiding you when I'm giving illustrations about marriage as you roll your eyes. But the reality is, <laughs> as, we, as we look at this passage, we find that marriage is, is, is more, than, it's more than what we experience. It's more than your experience in marriage. But in this passage, it is about God. Can you imagine that your marriage may not just be about happiness? In fact, not about happiness, but holiness. A greater and more amazing picture. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, Love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. But I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you this morning. 
knowing that we're in a room and a community that is full of people who are at different stages in their lives. We thank you, Lord, for your never-changing word in an ever-changing world. We thank you, Lord, for how you lead us through your word, how you lead us to the, to the life that you have called us to. I pray, Lord, that you would speak to every individual where they're at. I pray, Lord, that you would be the loudest voice in this room. Hide the speaker, and Lord, speak to our hearts. We're listening. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we look at that passage, and we see that it carries a lot of weight with it. But to give that some context, we find that this passage is written by Paul. He's in prison, and he writes to the church in Ephesus. And Paul's a single dude, which gives me uh, encouragement to preach this message, because I'm like, well, I have seven years on Paul. But the reality is Paul is preaching and he's, he's sharing this message to this church in Ephesus. And now we think sometimes that the Bible is this outdated thing. It's, it's, it's so far in the past. How could that possibly apply to our lives today? But I tell you that Ephesus was a different kind of place. Ephesus, Ephesus was the epicenter of worship to the, to the Greek and Roman gods. We find that Ephesus was a very progressive place accepting of multiple religions. Let's all live in harmony. And if we're being honest, that kind of looks like the world we live in today. And this is Paul speaking into that culture, into a church that is smack dab in the middle of that. So I think we can relate to that and connect with that. But we find in this passage that Paul goes back to the foundation of marriage right to the start. He goes back to Genesis chapter 2. And Paul goes to chapter 2, verse 24, and he, and he shows this illustration that, that we see painted right at the beginning of the Bible. We see that in Genesis, God creates everything, and he says, hey, things aren't quite right. And then he makes Adam. God creates Adam. Adam, bam, lands, and God gives Adam a job. Everything is perfect. Adam is going around, running around, butt naked, naming things, naming animals. He's running, he's free, he's happy. And all of a sudden, God's like, nope, still not quite right. And so, bam, some Tylenol PM, boom, Adam is asleep. When he wakes up, he can't believe his eyes. Eve is there. And poetry spews out of his mouth. What is this greatness? He has that day of epiphany, and he's, he sees Eve, and God gives them instruction in that moment. This is how you ought to live in a marriage. And he says... You will leave your father and mother and you'll be joined to your wife and you become one flesh. And God establishes what is the covenant of marriage. He shows that, Adam, this is now your team, your number one teammate. Eve, this is now your number one teammate, your one team. This is now the Embiid to your Simmons. This is the Earth to your Wentz. This is the Cagney to your Lacey, the Chick-fil-A sauce to your Nuggets. This is the team. This is it. And so in marriage, we know that this is what is happening. We're being joined and we are one. It's a covenant. 
And we find in this covenant that God is establishing some things. First and foremost, he's saying marriage is the doing of God. How amazing is that? If we can be honest, husbands, we know it's a miracle that we ended up with the people that we're with. How many husbands in here know that they're batting out of their league? How many of you? <laughs> Amen. That's Okay, husbands with their hands down. That was an easy one. I just, whoop, happy Valentine's Day. If you couldn't hit that one out the park, I don't know what you can hit. Because you're, sta- you're sitting there. You didn't know what amount of flowers are going to make up for that. Your wife is going to be like, where was your hand? So you think we're in the same league. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> But that's the truth, right? It's a miracle. God is in the midst of it. And then we find that God shows that this is how he he displays how this covenant works best, this relationship, how it works best. And so we find here that foundationally God created marriage. And then we find that as well that it is to display this greater relationship between Christ and the church. This will come up many times because that is where marriage should be rooted. But we find that it's a covenant and we live in a contract world. How do we keep covenants in a, in a world that is full of contracts? In a world that says, when you're done with something, you're done with it. In a world that says, if this doesn't spark joy in you anymore, you can throw it away. How many of you have watched uh, this show called Tidying Up with Marie Kondo? Anyone here? I've never folded so many clothes in my life. It's like, why am I doing this? And if you haven't watched it, if you're going to watch it, it's on Netflix. If you're going to watch it, prepare to clean your entire house. And I watched this thing and, and, and it was like, wow, this is happening. Like, I can't believe it. I'm just folding pants all day. I love it. But I looked at the show and there was this one part where it kind of got a little, bit of, a little bit weird, right? And where she was like, and now you need to pick up each article of clothing and say, does it spark joy? And then if it doesn't, you throw it away. And the, rea- the reality is that's the only step that I didn't follow because I was making sure if, it doesn't, if the top button doesn't button, I was throwing it away or if I can't lift my hands in worship without people seeing my underwear. So I was like, okay, that's how I was choosing the clothes. But the reality is like we live in this world where it says if something doesn't spark joy in you anymore, you can throw it away. And so we live in that way in everything, including marriage, church. It doesn't make a difference. The statistics are the same in the church, outside of the church. You stop sparking joy in me, so I let you go. And we live in a world where we have multiple contracts. We have a contract with Comcast or Verizon. And if that little kid from Stranger Things, if they don't, if they don't have the same speed that he's promising on that ad, guess what? You cancel the contract and you move on. But this is not a contract. This is a covenant. And foundationally, we have to understand that marriage is a covenant. It says the two become one flesh. And that picture is showing how difficult it must be to break. Parting away from your own flesh. And so we find in here that the foundation of this covenant is set. And that's when we dive into verse 21 in Ephesians chapter 5. We start here in in verse 21 and it says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. I find this passage of the S word, submit. Right? 
I believe that there's a verse that I could never put on a coffee cup and give to my wife and say, Happy Valentine's Day. <laughs> and verse 22 is definitely the one. Why don't you do think about that as you drink your morning coffee? <laughs> right? That, that's, that, that she'll, we'll end up on Dateline. The reality <laughs> is, that, is that you can't give that and, and it carries a weight. And to be honest, church, that word carries a weight that, that I understand that even as I'm about to share this and even as I'm about to preach through this, I know that I'm treading on dangerous ground. My words could be empowering a selfish, small-minded, controlling husband to control every facet of their wife's life who will distort this passage to change their wife's behavior. I know this because from a very personal note, when I was 12, and I, I love my parents, I'll preface this, I love my parents and it's been years and they've reconciled in whatever way they can reconcile. But I remember when I was 12, walked in the house and my mom had taken her stuff and she had left. I remember the devastation and the weight of that day, knowing that this was going to be the rest of our lives. And I remember in my heart feeling the sorrow that my mother wasn't going to be in our house anymore. And we, my mom and dad weren't going to be together. But I also remember feeling relief as a 12-year-old that my mom didn't have to endure any more suffering, any more verbal, emotional, or physical abuse. Church, I know this carries a lot of weight because I know that there are people who have taken this verse to mean something that it does not mean. I know people have taken this verse to oppress their wives. So I tread through this and I pray by the power of the Holy Spirit because we've already had two services of multiple people coming and saying, that thing, that abuse, that is where I'm living right now. I know in this community it exists. And so we ask the Holy Spirit to speak through this because we have to continue to trust that God's word is true. So even with that, when I read this, I put on the lens of my hurt. Sometimes it's very hard to see the truth in that and the joy of that truth. And so we can put on those goggles or we can take them off and allow the word of God because the enemy is going to pervert everything that God has created. So sex becomes porn, wine becomes drunkenness, food becomes gluttony, and submission becomes oppression. And so we find in this passage that that is not what's happening. We find that it starts in verse 21. Submit to one another. Submit to one another out of reverence for who? Jesus Christ. It says that this is how this works best. 100% of the way submission, 100% of the way submission, and 100% of the way submission to Christ. That when you're following God, amen. Now, when we're following God, we're saying that we are already both submitted to Jesus. So we're already following each other, serving one another in a way that, that reveres Christ, that says, Jesus, you are holy. And it starts there, the foundation, the way it works, the way God says this will work is that way. And then it says then, wives, then submit to your husbands. But it's not saying an if or but or when. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Both of those need the work of the Holy Spirit. One is not easier than the other. Both need the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. And so we find in this passage 
That church, like when we're looking at this passage, Jesus is not talking, that, like this passage is not talking about value. It's not talking about worth. It's not talking about aspirations. It's not talking about goals. And it certainly doesn't say women submit to men. It says husbands. Wives submit to your own husband. And it's been taken to mean many things that it doesn't mean. But it says first, this comes out of a submission to the Lord. As you submit to the Lord. So what essentially is happening is saying, Jesus, you lead me. And whatever you say, I'll do. And so when Jesus says, hey, let this guy, if you love him and you want this to work, let him lead sacrificially. Let him lay down his life for you. And it's saying to the man, hey, hey, if you're listening to me and you trust me, lay down your life. As I have done for you. We find as we sing songs in church and as we look at Jesus, we come with glad submission. We come with glad submission because we know he laid down his life for us. We know that there was no extent that Jesus was not willing to go to for us to be in relationship with him. So we gladly submit. This thing works beautifully in this way. And so we find that there's a mutual submission and that when both parties are submitted to Christ and are following Christ, marriage works in the way God designed it to work. Church, we've tried our own way. I try my own way. When it comes to marriage, I'm preaching to myself. Let me have a shot at my own way, my own design. But God says, trust my way. What results have your way brought you, Rob? Try my way. Trust me. That this will bring about the most joy and this will bring about a great testimony. Church, we also have the goggles of our culture when we look at a passage like that. I understand that it's, it's weighty, but the goggles of our culture also affect how we read that passage and how we respond to that passage. And like I said, through the lens of our hurt or through the lens of people taking this verse out of context and through history and through time and the way that women have been treated at times, we then view this passage in that way. And the culture responds to that. But the culture is ever-changing. God's word is never-changing. So if we are rooted in something that is always changing, guess what? We always change. How many of you have ever looked at some of your Facebook status updates from like 10 years ago? And you just went, who is this guy? <laughs> Rob, you're such an idiot. What, what are you saying? Because we change. We change. Culture changes. Beyonce changes, right? <laughs> Everyone changes. And so when we root ourselves in something that's ever-changing, church, we find ourselves not having any roots at all. But we root ourselves in the word of God. And so we find in here that there's this mutual submission and there's this, if you lay down your life, the way you're called to lay down your life, and if you gladly say, then lead, and like I said, it's not talking about value, worth, aspirations, or goals. I'll come to that. Because it says, husbands, love your wives as Christ has loved the church. 
Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. There's this sacrificial laying down of your life as a husband that only can be done by the work of the Holy Spirit. If you try and do it out of your own strength, you will toil. You will still be selfish. You will still expect when you open the door, you must hear, everything must be perfect. Sports center must be working. When you walk in, you must be served all the time. But this verse is opposite. You must serve. You must lay down your life. You must show what it means to lay down your life sacrificially. I know as guys and before I thought that meant, oh, of course I'll take a bullet for my wife. But no one is shooting at us. So what does this mean every day? What does it mean to daily lay down your life? It takes the work of the Holy Spirit because I'm selfish. And I found that out on the first day that we were married. Oh, geez, I have to share. I'm not a good sharer. <laughs> so we find in this passage, it says, we are to love in this way. And this word love, agape, it's not sentimental. It goes beyond feelings. So your marriage cannot be rooted in Anything else cannot be rooted in how your, your husband or your wife looks because we know calories will take effect and people change. It can't be rooted even in the love of your kids because we know that to be true. And even, in, even when it comes to the breakage of marriage and the, uh, and the rate of divorce and where it's most common, it's when the kids leave. It becomes easier because it was rooted in something in something that isn't the mission of Christ. And so we find here, it says that this love is sacrificial. We find it in 1 Corinthians 13. We find that it's patient, it's kind. It's not self-seeking. And it doesn't keep a record of wrongs. Amen. Because church, that is the hardest place to live. That little black book that's in, our, in the back of our minds full of stories, full of the wrongs that we're waiting to bring out at the right time. It says it doesn't do that. It doesn't keep a record of wrongs. Forgiving. We find that even when we look at this picture, it's been painted constantly. As we read here, verse 28, in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. So husbands ought to love their wives in the same way that you love yourself. What does that look like? Do you have dreams and goals and aspirations? Well, it says then, why don't you love in the same way? For the flourishing in a home, and it says in that beautiful love, in that mutual submission and laying down, you find that there's conformity to Christ that happens. In that beauty, this passage is painting this out, and it's saying that in there, you find that both of you are being chiseled and shaped to love Jesus more. Amen. And so we look at this passage, and it's saying this. I love, you know, when I became a Christian, the one thing I love most about Jesus is this. That he wiped my record clean. And he didn't keep a record of wrongs. He paid the price and then he said, hey, Rob, I'm done with that. I'm not going to judge you on that. 
I'm not going to keep a record. If you repent and if you confess, it's done. Wiped clean by my blood on the cross. How beautiful is that? But it says, no matter where you're at in relationship as we go through this series, we're being called to love in that way, church. Do not keep a record of wrongs. I found this interesting. I have over here something that you can only find in a museum now. But this is, a, this is a VHS tape for the kids. This is how, what your parents used to watch, and this, is, this used to entertain them 20 years ago. And I wanted to ask you, how many of you guys ever paid a late fee at Blockbuster? Anyone? Show of hands. <laughs> All right, show of hands. Okay. Everyone did, by the way. So the ones who didn't, you just lied in church. <coughs> right? You walk in, and it's never fun because you forgot that you had something that belonged to Blockbuster. And Blockbuster made a lot of money from keeping a record of wrongs. They had your record there waiting for you. And you would pay the late fee. And the reality is this, the reason why I bring that up, is that Blockbuster made $800 million in the, in the year 2000 on late fees alone. Their business was about keeping a record of wrongs. But they charged one day the wrong guy with a late fee. And that guy drove home that day and said, this can't be right. That guy's name is Reed Hastings. And when he went home, he and his friends started a little company called Netflix. And Netflix had no late fees, no record of wrongs. <laughs> and Netflix was the company that pretty much orchestrated the demise of Blockbuster. So right now, uh, apparently, there was a blockbuster right where Panera is, gone, all over the country, bankrupt, business gone. And I, I bring up that story to say this, church, maybe keeping a record of wrongs has this tingly feeling inside of us that says, hold on to this. Maybe it feels like $800 million, but it marks the demise to the, to the beginning of the destruction of the gift that God has given you in marriage. The gift that God has given us in relationship with one another. We walk bitter, waiting for someone to do something wrong to us. And it may feel good, but it is the destruction. It is the beginning of the destruction. And I love this about the gospel because this passage of scripture takes a weird turn at this moment. As Paul is writing this letter, he pauses and he says, this is a profound mystery. And as they're reading this, there's this pause says, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. He goes, I'm not even talking about your marriage. I'm talking about something greater. So in, in the past, we may look at this passage. And as we look at this passage, we may think it's talking about marriage. And Jesus is the illustration. But the reality is it's talking about Christ and the church. And marriage is the illustration. Saying this is the deeper meaning in this. And so when we get a hold of this and we grasp this, what we realize is that the beauty and the thing that ought to be celebrated in our faith and in our walk with God is that Jesus paid our ultimate late fee. And he said, you're free. And in our lives with one another, in our relationships, we ought to live in that way. Not holding on, but being able to let go and forgive. The church... I know that in this room, like I said at the beginning of this sermon, this is a weighty topic because it's real. 
This is a weighty topic because oftentimes church is not the place we come to be honest and vulnerable, but church is actually the place we come to pretend. When it comes to our marriages, church, and I've been there, so I know it's true. And in the parking lot, we're the Simpsons, but as soon as the doors open to the church, we're Little House on the Prairie. <laughs> Everything is happy. Kids are high-fiving each other like they weren't just spewing applesauce in each other's eyes. Everything changes inside this room, but this is the place to be vulnerable. Church, this is the place to live in community, genuine community, real community. We're not well. This is the place to say, I am drowning. This is the place to say, I am in the midst of temptation. Church, I'm preaching this. And there could be verbal and emotional and physical abuse. We're praying with people. That's wrong. Honesty. Church, no place in a marriage that is rooted in Christ. There are people in this room, church, that are having affairs. No place in the life of a person who's following Christ. The Lord is speaking directly to that, not to condemn you, to judge you, to save you. We can't pretend, church. And so we find in this weighty passage of scripture that we read, your marriage is meant to reflect this greater story of Christ's pursuit of the church. Now I know that in this room, there are many people who are in different places. Maybe some of you are like, Rob, it's, it's too late for me. Hey, Rob, I, I'm a single mom. I'm a single dad. I'm already divorced. Like, it's different. Some of us in this room are like, Rob, I, I'm married to someone who doesn't believe in Jesus. So to be honest, foundationally, verse 21 can't even happen in my home because we can't mutually submit to Christ. Because some of us in this room were carrying that weight. Some of us in this room, very real things that are more complex that cannot be solved or even unearthed and, and, and even healed in one 30-minute sermon. <laughs> I have to say this. I talk about myself as a 12-year-old walking in my home and that being the reality, but I remember, I remember this, and this points me to this. It says that, and I, and I want to encourage you this way, where the ideal is lacking, God's grace abounds. Where the ideal is not there, God's grace abounds. I remember as a, as a 12-year-old befriended a young man who invited me into his home, and he invited me into his home, and all of a sudden, I was seeing this, this beautiful married couple that were, that were loving one another, and I, it, it shocked me. It blew me away. To be honest, till this day, in and amongst our friends from the high school team that we used to be on, the first thing we say was, wasn't it beautiful to be in their home and be loved by their parents? Because God's grace was upon our lives coming from those broken homes and we're being placed into this home where there was a godly father and a godly mother and a godly husband and a godly wife. And we could see this picture. God's grace abounds. And so church, when we're in community, allow your home to be that reflection of the gospel. Allow your marriage to be a reflection of the gospel to your kids' friends who walk into your house. Because you could do everything under the sun. 
You could give, you could sing, you could check the boxes, you could build a building. But when someone walks into your home and they do not see a reflection of the gospel in your relationship, if they don't see repentance and forgiveness modeled by their parents in their marriage, how can they believe that there's repentance and forgiveness in Christ? And so our, our marriages are meant to reflect this. And this is what this passage is painting out. And I want to encourage you as I close. I spoke about that thing being picked up and being discarded because it didn't spark joy. And maybe you're in this room and you're saying, Rob, I'm that. I was dumped. I was picked up one day and I was told I do not spark joy anymore. I was told that you don't make me happy anymore and I was dished for something new. And I'm hurting and I don't feel like I'm worth anything and I'm broken. Maybe it's in your singleness and you feel like there's no one who could ever love you because everyone you date, everyone you go out with, everyone you pursue, they always pick you up at some point and say you're not worth it. The gospel says that each and every one of us were picked up by a savior who picked us up no matter what our condition and said, I want you. You spark joy in me and you're worth every bit of pain that I went through on the cross. Church, that is the truth, and you can apply that to your life knowing that that is the truth, and that is the reflection of the church, that is a reflection of this passage. Jesus willing to pursue to the ends of the earth to say that you're worth it. You're worth it. So let's pray. Father God, we thank you. We thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word, Lord. Father, in the different places that we're in, in our walk, in our lives, I pray, Lord, that you speak to us, Lord. Draw us in. Father, I cry out that you would break the cycle of brokenness in homes, Lord. I pray, Lord, that today there'll be much forgiveness and much repentance in this place and in the homes that we all belong to. In places where, in places where we've been difficult, in places where there's oppression, I ask, Lord, that there'll be freedom. Holy Spirit, we know this cannot be done without you. So we invite you in. In Jesus' name, amen.